It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Whitney and I have been, as of late, doing a lot of additional research on the effects of social media and digital technology, and as such, have been watching a lot of documentaries and reading a lot of articles, many of which we continue to reference here on the podcast. So if you are a longtime listener, you have probably heard us reference things like The Social Dilemma, Fake Famous, and a lot of articles and studies talking about the mental health and emotional wellness implications of social media and digital tech and how it's shaping not only human society, but our neurophysiology. And a few days ago, Whitney brought another one to the table that I had never heard of before that came out about five months ago on YouTube called Childhood 2.0. And if I sound a little bit somber starting this podcast, it's because I am. And I'm feeling extremely emotional right now after watching this documentary, which I concluded just about 20 minutes before we started recording this episode. And Whitney, there's so much I want to unpack. I feel like this is going to be a longer episode for us because I've taken the most notes I've ever taken of any research that we've done preparing for a podcast before. I have pages and pages and pages of notes because there were so many moments of feeling shocked and sad and also expanded. And I think the the way that I want to start this, because I'm not sure that there's a place to start, is the feeling I have in my body is the same feeling that I had. It's a very similar feeling. It's not the same. Let me just say it's a very similar feeling to when I first start, started to watch documentaries in my late teens about slaughterhouses in the animal agriculture industry. And a lot of documentaries like The Corporation that were talking a lot about the environmental destruction and the societal destruction of consumerism. And the somberness and the sadness I feel after watching this documentary in particular reminds me of the feelings that I had after watching those kind of documentaries in my teens and 20s. It's a feeling that I have of wanting to make profound title shifts in my life, much like I did after I watched those documentaries of how I ate, how I consumed, how I spent my money, the industries I was supporting, my approach to animals, my approach to the environment. Like th this documentary in particular, Whitney, I'm not sure how you feel, but I feel like this has hit me in a very deep, visceral, lasting way. I'm reeling right now, honestly. Like I feel emotionally hungover after watching this documentary. So I don't know that I know exactly what point I want to jump off because there's so many, oh my God, holy shit things I want to talk about with you. But I guess the first point is emotionally, how did this land for you? Because I feel like I just got my ass kicked emotionally after watching this. Where are you at with all of it? Like, how are you feeling? Because I know you watched it a second time to take notes and, and dig into a bit, a bit more of the research and points we wanted to talk about. So you've seen it twice. Well, to be fair, I, I didn't make it all the way through the second round yet because it's a lot to take in. And I felt similar to you, Jason. And it's interesting because I'm not a parent. My first instinct was that I had to share it to all of my friends who would be open to watching it that are parents. And it was interesting because part of me thought like, okay, some of my friends, you send things like this to them and they get defensive because it's a really hard subject matter. I think some parents 
depend so much on technology for their children to entertain them, to distract them, to, you know, give them something to cope with that it's hard to recognize the long-term effects of this. So I kind of sat back and, and just sent it to people that I thought would watch it. And some of them immediately responded, said thank you. Some of them hadn't responded yet, probably because they're overwhelmed with other things in their lives. And actually, one person responded that after they saw the trailer, they didn't feel like they would want to watch this because they thought it might be fear-mongering. And I thought that was an interesting reaction because... I didn't watch the trailer first. I actually found out about this on TikTok. No surprise for anyone who listens to this show. I spend a good amount of time on TikTok. And TikTok has many benefits to my life, one of which is that it shows me what's going on in the world. And there's a number of accounts that I follow or interact with that talk about movies are recommended. And this came up. There was a clip of this on TikTok. And what was interesting is it was a clip of, from the end of the movie, which I, I won't bring up. Not You can really spoil anything with a movie like this, but it was a clip towards the very end of it that felt very different than the rest of the movie. So it was kind of interesting how that one clip didn't fully represent it, but it was enough to capture my interest. So I watched it without even watching the trailer. I thought, I'll give this movie a try. And similar to you, Jason, I was so hooked. I mean, the the this movie is incredibly well done, I thought. And I'm actually shocked that it hasn't received as much attention as I feel like movies like The Social Dilemma did. But honestly, even The Social Dilemma isn't really talked about that much, which is kind of shocking. And then fake famous documentary that we talked about is also barely talked about. What I see most people talking about right now is the Free Britney documentary. I mean, that has exploded. And we actually have a guest coming up on the show who's going to talk about that documentary and his firsthand experience, which I'm really looking forward to. Anyways, I just am shocked that this documentary, I think, came out in August 2020, and I didn't even hear about it till February 2021. And then none of the parents I sent it to had heard of it. It's a free documentary that you can watch on YouTube, so even more so shocking. Perhaps most people watch things that are on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, you know, on and on the list, HBO. So maybe that's why I didn't get enough traction. And that's a big reason I wanted to discuss it here today is I encourage everybody, parent or not, as mentioned, Jason and I are not parents, but we got so much value from watching this documentary. And anyways, going back to the way that I felt about it, I, as I was watching it, was sending it to parents and that one, you know, more acquaintance of mine responded with, saying that they kind of already knew about a lot of this stuff going on, so they didn't need to watch a little, another documentary. And I didn't fully want to push back on that. But to be honest, I really feel like we should be seeing a lot of this content frequently because it takes time to sink in. It, it's a lot like, as you mentioned, Jason, watching vegan documentaries. I know what's going on, so I think. But I still try to watch as many of those documentaries as possible because A, there's maybe some new information some updated studies, some perspectives I haven't fully considered. So I'm personally not a fan of that response of, oh, I already know about it. I don't need to see it. Because I actually feel like that's kind of a defensive reaction and a closed-minded one. But I think this person's reaction was perhaps, A, that it feels too depressing to watch a lot of this stuff. And B, maybe it brings up fear. Maybe it brings up like, oh, I, I can't even mentally handle it anymore. It's like someone's reaction to not wanting to join another social media app. They're, they're thinking like, oh, another one. I'm already on all these others. Why do I need to join this new one? 
right? And you could certainly give give reasons for either side of it. So, you know, it's also similar, Jason, to when you tell somebody about a vegan documentary and their response is, well, I'm already vegan. Why do I need to watch this? All right. You know, it's hard to watch animal cruelty. (laughs) It's hard to see someone spit out scientific facts about health and the environment, right? Like if you feel like you're already contributing to a change, you might not feel compelled but I'm of the belief that it's always helpful to take in more information because it gives you more tools and it keeps you aware. And that was the reason that I watched this documentary is because I wanted to be more aware about what was going on. And there was a lot in this movie that I didn't fully know or understand. I think that before we dig into some of the points that I want to talk to you about, Whitney, you know, the idea of becoming awareness, becoming more aware rather, and cultivating self-awareness is not necessarily a fun, enjoyable experience. And I want to make it very clear in my personal experience, you know, that when we talk about consciousness and we talk about becoming more aware and we're bringing up these documentaries with you, dear listener, and, and we're sharing these things on the internet, it's under the auspices of like, look, w- you know, waking up and wanting to be more aware can be painful and sad sometimes. And I think that they're part of our mission. And you know, the reason we call this podcast, This Might Get Uncomfortable is because that, again, can be painful and shocking and like, holy shit, I didn't know that. And to your point, Whitney, you know, I, I, you know, I also recently watched Dominion, the animal rights documentary. And, you know, there were statistics and things and facts that I didn't know, you know, even though I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of documentaries on animal rights, welfare, the food system, you know, the ecological damage, right? There's always more to learn. And so even if I know that it's going to make me a little sad, or I'm going to feel a little bit depressed afterward, I would rather be more aware than less aware. I would rather rather be more conscious than less conscious, even if it means there's going to be pain and discomfort associated with that. You know, and that being said, you know, even though this documentary is called Childhood 2.0, Whitney, I felt like there were a lot of aspects around particularly, you know, mental health and suicide and a lot of the the shaming and social implications that weren't just relegated to teenagers. I mean, I, I really see a lot of this behavior in grown adults and I see a lot of these effects happening for grown adults too. I think the point, you know, that, that we'll get into is, is like the seeds of this are planted at a younger and younger age than ever before. And when this brought up things and, you know, I want to drop a few statistics that I wrote down, but things like watching pornography, things like watching violent imagery, things like sexting, things like sending dick pics and nudes. I mean, they're talking about this stuff starting at nine and 10 years old, like kids in the sixth grade doing these things. And it's like, you know, part of the, the I suppose, the arc with the statistics and some of the sociological studies in this documentary was looking at the age in which children are exposed to these things and engaging in these things going down, you know, 11 years old, 10 years old, nine years old. They were talking about some kids in fifth grade looking at pornographic imagery and things like that. And, and it, it's just to me like, of course, we don't know what the end game is here, right? Until we're decades into the future. But even for us as adults, the amount of exposure you and I have to violence, pornography, graphic content, I mean, it's the accessibility now is so easy. And so, you know, the thing that I actually cried at points in this documentary, Whitney, and I cried because I feel the pain that this is causing a lot of children, like palpably feeling the pain that it's causing, you know? And in particular, the one thing that like really got me crying was when they talked about the statistics of suicide rates in teenagers, that between 2010 and 2017, the teen suicide rate 
has gone up 56% in that seven-year period. 56%. And that one of the researchers and doctors on there was saying that 1.12 million kids were hospitalized in the year 2015 for suicide attempts. 1.12 million children for suicide attempts. I mean, these are the moments that, like I texted you, like my brain is melting down because we're not talking in the mainstream about the scope of the horror of this and that 18 million reports of online child sexual abuse. I mean, it's like the pressure for children to fit in in society and school now. You know, there were kids saying that, you know, by the time they were in, like, by the time they were like 11 years old, if they didn't have a smartphone in school, they were teased and bullied and ridiculed for not having a phone. Like that's the level that we're at, that the social pressure to fit in and be like everyone else is doing such unbelievable damage to these children. And it's like, yeah, if, if the kids were saying, you know, much like we've talked about in the influencer culture and actors we know, that kids are more popular at school based on the amount of followers and likes they have. And that kids would befriend other children, not even if they liked them. They, they might have thought they were even assholes, but because they were popular, they had more friends. And it reminds me, too, of like, these aren't new issues, right? I mean, you and I, and generations ago, we, we talk about social hierarchy. We talk about the pressure to fit in. We talk about the pressure to be popular and be famous. We've talked about the four dual basic urges and how people are motivated by significance and importance and fame and power, right? But I feel like what social media has done, especially with these kids, is they've taken the dial and cranked it to 50. It's not that these pressures haven't been there. You and I faced those pressures when we were in school. But my God, the level of pressure right now, I can't even imagine what it must be like to deal with this. You know, the mass narcissism and, you know, the girls in this documentary talking about more skin equals more likes and the pressure they feel to take their clothes off. And we're talking about girls in middle school and high school to take their clothes off because they know they'll get more likes and all of the the pressure to send nudes and that guys will stop talking to them and they'll stop dating them if they don't send them nude pictures. I mean, there's so much I want to fucking talk about in this documentary because it's like my mind is just blown right now. And I think my heart just hurts. My heart hurts, Whitney, because of the amount of pressure these kids are dealing with, the number of suicides, the unbelievable panic and anxiety and medical issues they're facing. And it's like, what's the end game here? What's the end game? Is this, you know, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories for a second, but let's kind of like dip into that territory. These companies exist. Why do they exist? To make a shit ton of money. And so if they're conditioning young people to be desperate to fit in, buy the right clothes, get the right car, use the right filters, take their clothes off. I mean, what are we conditioning children to do? We're conditioning children to obey. We're conditioning children not to question. We're conditioning children to fit in and be like everyone else. We're conditioning children to be consumers because of the desperate need they feel to fit in and be like everyone else. So yeah, I mean, if it sounds conspiracy, I don't fucking think it is. I think that these corporations who have hundreds of billions of dollars are conditioning us to fit in and be like everyone else and not question this, this destructive capitalist system that we're in. That's my take on all this. I really feel that's the intent here. I'm glad that you're getting so fired up about this. I think that we need to. And that's how I felt too. When I was watching, I just thought like, I want to do something about this as soon as possible because this is our future as human beings. These children are going to be, you know, in charge of things, you know, like these children are literally the future of, of human society. 
And I think that that is actually a really interesting thing for us as adults to make sure that we're clear about, especially when we're not parents. Because without, when you're not a parent, you're so focused on yourself and your life. You're focused on your future. And perhaps you have children in your life, you know, maybe they're nieces and nephews or your friends' kids and you're connected to them. But I think it's a different experience. I imagine it is than having a child in your house 24 seven, you know? and being constantly reminded of their future. And I think that's the big thing I hear from a lot of parents is that it completely shifts their worldview. But we have to remember, though, is it's not just us taking care of our kids. It's like everything as a whole. And I think a lot of parents are very focused on like making an impact on their children. But we need everybody, collectively, parents or not, to be focused on on the future of, of our society and really taking a good look at this and not just brushing it away. I think I think this is part of the issue here, Jason. And when we see this with the environment, we see this with health, we see this overall is, is human beings know that there's issues and we might get involved for a little while. Another great example is racism, right? And this is a good lesson for me too. I'm guilty of this. I was so fired up in the middle of 2020, during Black Lives Matter, you know, I was thinking about it every day. I took a course to become a better ally. I mean, I was reading books and just very engaged with change within myself and hopefully others. And it has had a ripple effect, certainly. Even with our podcast, we've really worked on diversifying our guests. It's a bigger priority for us. We're working on being inclusive with different genders and sexualities. I mean, inclusivity is the ripple effect. Amplifying voices is the ripple effect. Being better allies is the ripple effect. But am I as engaged with that as I was six plus months ago? No. And even like environmentally, when I started my work with Eco Vegan Gal in 2008, I was so fired up about it. I was so fired up about being environmentally conscious and making a difference. And then over over time, it just became part of my life. So I became, became less aware and less focused and less concerned. So that's actually going back to the reason to watch documentaries like this is that they reignite us, just like you were saying with that documentary that you watched about veganism, Dominion. They remind us, and that's that's why these are just are, are so important. And actually just, just sharing this I think sometimes we can become frustrated when there's a lot of content covering the same subject matter. You know, for example, there's so many health documentaries about veganism. There's documentaries about plant-based athletes. And sometimes you can roll your eyes and say like, oh, do we really need another one? But I think we do need another one because the data does change. And we have to keep it fresh in our minds because we can become so consumed in our day-to-day lives. So actually one action step is to put it onto your schedule. This is something that I did when I was working on becoming a better ally towards people of color. I actually took that course. I think it was a month-long online course that was free. And every day, I worked on it. Every day, I watched a lesson and tried to take some action, big or small. And I put it on my to-do list. It was on my calendar. It was part of my day. So things like this, I think we need to be very proactive and figure out how can we make a change. And if we don't know how to make a change, we have to become more committed to figuring that out. So one thing that you can do 
besides watching this movie is to go to the documentary's website, which is childhood to the number two movie.com. We will link to this in our show notes at wellevator.com. So anything we reference, any other movies we've mentioned, resources we share, all of that will be in one place for you along with the transcript of this episode at wellevator.com. That's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section, you'll find this episode and you can click to check out this documentary and the website. And like many documentaries on their website, they share, they have a section called What Can I Do? One, they have a community you can join. They have something called Parenting in a Tech World, which is an online community dedicated to supporting the first generation of parents raising kids in the digital age. It's a private Facebook group. I'm going to click right now and join it because I want to learn more. You know, again, I'm not a parent, but can I be an ally to parents? Absolutely. You know, my friend's kids are precious to me. If I do have a child, I would like to be more prepared for it and more involved. If I don't have children, I want to continue to be an ally and support them in whatever way I can. Number two on the website, you can sign up. I'm going to also do that. I'm going to register our Wellevator email, so we'll get emails about this. And then lastly, they have a resource section. They have a handbook for raising kids in a digital age that's for family, schools, and community organizations. That reminds me too, Jason, of when you and I got involved with Stedman Graham's uh, event about purpose. And I'm completely blanking. It's called K's, C-A-Y-S. And it's a community action for youth success, I believe, is what that stands for. And I want to get reinvolved with that, Jason, you know, as a ripple effect of this documentary, because one thing that that Stedman Graham is really passionate about is helping kids tap into their purpose. And I think if we look at how we can make a shift away from all the horrors of social media, it's that social media pulls us away from our purpose in a lot of ways. It can amplify our purpose, absolutely, but it can also distract us from our purpose. And, and we see this as adults, but remember, our brains are fully developed as adults. These kids that they're talking about in this documentary are under the age of 21, which I think is the age, maybe it's 25 where your brain's fully developed, I forget. But regardless, they're clearly susceptible to this in a way that us as adults can't even imagine. Because as the documentary paints really well, is how most parents right now did not grow up with social media, right? Social media has only been around in its in its major form for like 20 years. So unless you're a teen parent, you're not aware of how this could potentially impact your kids. And even so, every year, every month, really, social media is developing. So your experience 16 years ago is drastically different than your kids' experiences. And especially now that we're in COVID and people are spending way more time on their screens, you know, for school at least, there's so much going on. So anyways, to wrap up what I was saying about the purpose side of things, like I want to get more involved with that, Jason. Because I think if we can remind children that there's more to life than being popular and validated and sexy and and having clout and all of these things that they're drawn to right now, if we can remind them that there's a life outside of their screens and get them outdoors, if we can remind them that they are more valuable than their social media metrics, if we, we can remind them that they're loved and supported by us and there's communication that happens outside of a digital device and that we want them to grow into purpose-driven adults, 
I think we need to do whatever we can to be involved with that. I think that's a wonderful remedy because, you know, one of the juxtapositions they made in this documentary was talking to previous generations. They were talking to Gen X, they were talking to baby boomers, they were talking to older people, and they were contrasting that with their prototypical childhood activities with the prototypical childhood activities of, of the current Gen Z, right, or younger. And one interesting thing that came up in that documentary when they were interviewing, they interviewed a lot of different kids in this documentary, which was great. How many of them said at one point, Whitney, that they wish that they could just have social media be wiped out forever and that they think that their lives, that life would be better without it, but that it's so endemic now, it's so ingrained in the culture and you're so ostracized if you're not on it, if you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have social profiles. But the interesting thing was looking at how many teenagers they interviewed that had that sentiment of if we could just do away with it and wipe it out, we think life would be better. So it's like on the one hand, there's the awareness of being addicted, right? It's not for lack of awareness. The other one was there were these two little boys. They must have been like six and eight, six and nine, the two little brothers and the smaller one who looked, he appeared to be six, very young, said, I'm addicted to the games. He pointed to his brother and said, he's addicted to the games. And if we don't get to play our games, we throw a fit. A six-year-old acknowledged his self-awareness of addiction. Holy shit. So it's not a lack of awareness that kids are addicted. They know they're fucking addicted. But like, what are we going to do about it? That's what you're talking about. What the fuck are we going to do about this? Because awareness is not action. Awareness is not change. Awareness is not creating a pattern interrupt. It's like, yeah, I know I'm addicted, but you know, we throw a fit when we don't play our game. It's like a six-year-old saying this. So to me, it's like the awareness of getting kids to know that they're addicted and this is changing their neurochemistry is not enough. That's not going to stop them from doing it or create guardrails, if we will, or gatekeeping mechanisms to have them do it less. Just awareness of addiction and awareness of being in a social construct that they're also acknowledging is probably unhealthy for them. And if they could just hit a button and delete all of social media, their quote, lives would be better. But we can't. There's not some big red button head, you know, in an underground bunker somewhere that we can press that's just going to delete all of this. And I don't know that necessarily legislating is going to do it either. Because again, the whole reason social media exists in my mind is to continue to encourage sameness and fitting into a societal hierarchy and a structure that oppresses people. It's fitting into a dynamic to sell people things and continue toxic capitalism that's destructive to people's psyches and the environment in the world. So even if we, quote, got away or did away with social media, something would just fill that void. Something would fill that void. So I don't think regulating social media per se is the answer. That might be a part of it, right, of having guardrails or safety precautions put in place to limit, I don't know, you know, there was a huge component about pornography and sex trafficking, and that was horrifying as hell. But the thing is, is we're talking about things on a level of consciousness. So if we take away the mechanisms and the structures the human desire for power and dominance and greed and hierarchy will still be there. It's kind of like what we talked about in the Elon episode, Whitney, about, okay, so we get to a point where we have the option of transporting our consciousness into cyborg bodies and populating Mars. But if we're still greedy, violent, hateful, disconnected people, then we're going to be greedy, violent, hateful, disconnected cyborgs on a different planet. Who fucking cares? So to me, this gets down into a deeper level of not just what is addicting us, but why are we becoming addicted? Why are we becoming addicted? That to me, there's so many facets to this, right? And is it about building self-esteem in children and adults? Is it about letting us know that we don't have to play this game 
that it's a zero-sum game and that there are no winners. I mean, I'm trying to think about this on not only a sociological level, but a psychology level wit of how do we let people know they're enough? How do we let people know that they're lovable regardless of their numbers? How do we let let kids have more of a, a sense of agency over who they are and not feeling like they have to fit in so badly? These are not easy questions because the desire to fit in, the desire to be accepted, the desire to be loved and revered is so strong. I mean, and it's changing us, right? I mean, th- that one point the girls were talking about their relationships and dating and that, you know, the interviewer asked one of the girls like, well, how do you start dating guys? She's like, well, usually a guy will text me and say, I think you're hot. And then we'll just start dating and we'll be sexually active before we're even boyfriend and girlfriend. I mean, it's like that blew my mind is like these girls just get a text from a dude like you're hot. And then all of a sudden, like it's on. And, you know, the level of sexual aggression and sexual deviancy and, and objectification and you know, one of the things they said was what kids see, they feel neurologically compelled to do. And so this is another part of it is if you see all your friends doing something and you see people taking their clothes off and you see, as we mentioned in a previous episode, sexuality being flaunted as a tool for popularity and financial gain, then it's like, well, yeah, everyone's taking their clothes off and everyone's making money being naked and sexual. So what's wrong with it? But it's doing things to the level of intimacy they were saying. And I agree with that. I I think that sexuality is not intimacy. And I think for a lot of people on a level of relationship, Whitney, they're not learning how to actually be intimate. They're not learning how to be vulnerable. They're not learning how to be open with someone. It's just, you know, we're basically, social media in a way is training us to treat each other as objects. We've commodified human beings. We continue to commodify human beings. Whether that's celebrities like Brittany you were talking about, or just the average person, we're turning people into objects. And that to me is heartbreaking and fucking scary. Yeah, I feel similar emotions and it's very triggering. And it's something that comes up so much on the show. And I think just seeing that it has its hooks in people, you know, another line that really got to me was about the low grade anxiety side of it and how I think they had asked kids, hey, don't you all have a level of low grade anxiety? I mean, I don't know how long we've had that, if that's just like a part of the human state or if that's a new thing. But I know right now that most people would raise their hands, children or not, if you said, hey, don't you experience low-grade anxiety every day? <laughs> it's like, that's disturbing. It's so, And it just makes me wonder, Jason, like, why is it not getting better necessarily? I think as individuals... Perhaps we can work on it, but anxiety is a really tough thing to remove. And again, if I feel anxiety as an adult using platforms like social media and other online tools, and that's relatively new in my life, how is a kid who's ex- who's never known life without those devices, how are they going to cope with this? Like that's a really big battle because just like the documentary talks about, you and I remember, Jason, being able to go out in the neighborhood without very much fear. That was another thing that came up a lot was just like safety and how parents are still very concerned with physical safety. But yet I think the statistics are that there we are there's a lot more danger online than there is in person. And yet the media perpetuates this with all this messaging about like Look at all these awful things happening in the world. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And yet it's like that fear is worse than the actual things that are happening. Like we are now so anxious, depressed, afraid that we have completely lost perception of reality. 
And social media, I think, in general is twisting our perceptions of reality about ourselves, about the world, that we don't even know what to trust anymore. I've talked about on the podcast before how I struggle a lot with trust. And I think I have throughout my life. But again, I can't imagine being a little kid right now. Like You probably can't trust anything. You're probably afraid of everything. And that's really disturbing to me as well. I mean, I think anxiety is is just getting worse and worse and worse. And it sounds like a horrible life to live if every single day of your life you're experiencing a level of anxiety. And that's another thing we really need to wake up to is if we want to take a hold of it, we have to take it really seriously. And Jason and I can share this firsthand is we work on ourselves a lot, maybe more than the average person, because our whole business is about self-development. You know, <laughs> It's about well-being, physically, emotionally, and mentally. It's part of every single day, all these little thoughts that I have about taking good care of myself, and I still experience anxiety. And the anxiety, I think, has a bigger hold on me than I'm fully conscious of because I've talked about how I struggle with a sleep disorder and my anxiety manifests there while I'm sleeping, and I don't currently know how to fix it. You know, For me, it could actually be some sort of chemical imbalance or something that I've had throughout my whole life because I've always struggled with with a sleep disorder, but I definitely feel like it has been heightened. And when I notice my behavior and my tendencies with my sleepwalking and sleep talking, they're very related to things like social media. So my point being is that here I am working on myself consciously all the time, and yet I'm still struggling with anxiety. So for somebody who's not consciously working on themselves, for somebody who's inconsistent with self-care, imagine how bad they might have it. And that's not meant to scare anyone. It's not meant to make anyone feel hopeless. It's just maybe I need to do even more to combat anxiety. Maybe I need to, as as discussed in the Digital Minimalism book that I've been reading, is maybe I really do need to take a 30-day break away from these devices. You know, And that's something that I'm, I really want to look into more. And that's a really great resource which we'll add to the show notes at wellevator.com is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, who, which is a book recommended by our friend Adam Yasmin, who's also been a guest on the show. I started reading that book immediately after Adam <laughs> recommended it. I mean, I, I got it the day and read it that night and been slowly going through it. And I felt intimidated when I heard about this advice to not be on our devices for 30 days, like the detox or whatever you want to call it. But now I'm feeling like after seeing a documentary like this, maybe that would actually be vastly impactful for me. Maybe it's crucial. And I wonder, is that going to be a big trend, Jason? Like more and more so? Are people going to be getting off their devices or is it the opposite? Are people just so hooked on it that they can't even imagine spending 30 days disconnected? I think people are becoming less resilient to facing extremely painful or uncomfortable things. And I think that one of the reasons that social media is so addictive on a chemical level is because there's deep comfort in distraction. Distraction is very comforting, extremely comforting. And so the question I have is for an entire society of addicted people, how do we encourage a deeper sense of resilience and willingness to be bored. That was a word that got triggered a lot or spoken a lot rather in this document, bored, bored. What do you do? What do you do when you're bored? Grab your phone. What do you do when you're bored? Grab your phone. I mean, it was just parroted over and over. But then the question is, what is boredom? Is boredom a lack of purpose, a lack of direction? Is boredom a reticence and an inability to face the more painful, uncomfortable parts of ourselves? 
because we haven't been taught how to do it. Certainly, our, I mean, our parents, for the most part, didn't teach us like when you're having uncomfortable emotions, this is how you deal with them. Not something I was trained to do. Not something most people I know was trained to do. When you're sad, when you're suffering, when you're scared, when you... This is how you deal with it. No, it's like as an adult, then it was like, oh shit, all these decades of repressed emotions that I never dealt with. And that's the scary thing to me too, Whitney, is for these kids, decades and decades of repressed emotions and pain and suffering and trauma that they haven't been taught how to deal with, that they're just numbing and numbing and distracting and numbing over and over and over and over again. And these things will have to be dealt with at some point because- I believe spiritually, cosmologically, biologically as human beings, we can't continue to stuff down the challenges, the pain, the discomfort, the trauma, and expect they're just going to go away. So the question that I, I'm you know, wrestling with is how do we encourage people to build resilience and give them the tools to deal with these uncomfortable parts of themselves rather than just calling it boredom? Because I believe that boredom is just a vacuum of people going like, oh, I need my fix, I need my fix, I need my fix. But why is the fix even there? The fix is there to distract us from maybe the really important shit that we need to deal with in our lives. And if the drug hit of social media and digital tech weren't there, people would be forced to deal with their shit. But we're having a nation of young people and young adults and even our generation that hasn't learned how to deal with their pain and suffering. And it's going to get gruesome. I'm not saying that to be a fear monger either, but I'm just saying like on a level of human psyche and human healing, people are going to need a lot of tools and a lot of support. My God. So that's my thing, Wit, is like when people are, quote, bored, how do we encourage them to do things that feel engaging, creative, productive, healing for themselves? That's something that I'm feeling increasingly passionate about is, is, is helping people deal with their boredom and their disillusionment. Instead of, how do I get out of this? Like, because boredom and disillusionment are uncomfortable feelings. Boredom is a very uncomfortable feeling, right? Pain is an uncomfortable feeling. Suffering is an uncomfortable feeling. Feeling traumatized is fucking uncomfortable. These are all extremely uncomfortable things that we don't, as humans, physiologically, we want to run from those things, right? Like, oh, I want to run from the trauma. I want to run from the suffering. I want to run from the boredom. And so then, guess what? The social media swoops in and goes, you can run from it. We have this beautiful tool to help you run from it. And to me, that's probably one of the most diabolical things other than the social conditioning and the, the capitalistic parts we've discussed is the psychological mechanism of escapism for people. That anytime they feel an uncomfortable emotion, all they have to do is just check out. They immediately check out. And there's going to be massive repercussions for this behavior on an individual and a societal level. The other thing that I want to say, because there was another quote in this that that really got to me was from Alan Watts. They didn't attribute it to Alan Watts, but it was Alan Watts's voice. He said, a man feels free if he believes he is free and he will believe he is free if he is conditioned by positive reinforcement. So here we are in human society feeling so proud of our technological achievements and our commerce and our finances and our technology and our AI and our social media and everything that we feel we're so grand about, and we think that we're free, right? But I personally believe this Alan Watts quote was inserted very subtly to outline the fact that we're not free, that on some level, we're all addicts now. On some level, we're all subjugated to the tyranny of media. On some level, we're all subjugated to a capitalist financial system that wants to just bleed us. That's my feeling. I don't mean this to be dark. This is this is just how I see it now. And we're, you know, the analogy of the matrix is real, right? It's like I'm going to my job and I've got my friends and I've got my beer and I've got my football and I've got my stuff and everything's great and I feel free. And ignorance is bliss. 
But on a level, we are not free. We are not. But we believe we're free because we keep getting the carrots and we keep getting the positive reinforcement. Good job, Whitney. Good job, Jason. Good job, humans. Here's a carrot for your good behavior. Now go have your fancy stuff and live a good life. And you know what? On some level, Whitney, maybe people don't want to be free. Maybe on some level, certain people are much more comfortable being subjugated. Certain people are much more comfortable being enslaved mentally and physically and financially to a system that doesn't give a fuck about them. I'm just saying this because I got to be real. And I think that if people were to realize the severity of what you and I are discussing and what we're fired up about, we just, uh, I don't want to, that's a little hardcore. I was about to say something violent. I don't want to do that. I was going to say, you know, go burn down the buildings of the tech companies. But again, that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't solve anything because until we get to the heart of our suffering and our pain and our enslavement collectively, we'll just keep getting subjugated over and over and over by something else. So this comes down to a level of human consciousness and a level of do we really want to be free? Do we? And what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Like actual freedom. And I don't know that I have a, a question per se in all this, Whitney, but that Alan Watts quote, like I just sat there like, wow, we are all, the more we participate in this, the more that we are on a certain level shackled to it. Like, let's just be real about it. But, you know, uh, we're making seven figures and we're making eight figures and we're making nine figures and look how popular we are and look how influential we are. And I'm an influencer and I'm a celebrity and I'm all this. You just have a fancier cell, motherfucker. You just have a fancier cell. That was probably the most hardcore I've ever gotten on the podcast, Whitney. I feel like I feel like my body's all flush and fiery now. I, I feel like you're looking at me like, damn, this dude is on one. <laughs> but I do feel fiery about it because people think that stuff and status is the thing to liberate them. And it's not. It just, in some cases, it makes you more enslaved to the system because you, you're getting the bigger, shinier carrots now and you can't let go. So, you know, for kids and adults that are chasing clout and chasing popularity and chasing the numbers and chasing the fame and chasing the status. In some ways, yeah, you have a fancier cell, but it's harder to break yourself out because the rewards are too great at that point. And I'm not saying that every person who is famous or popular or influential or abundant is a bad person. I'm not saying that. But to think that you're somehow free from the system the system is just rewarding you for good behavior, okay? Like the system's like, good job, buddy. Here's all this stuff. But once you get that stuff, oh my God, it's so tough to break out of it. And that's what I mean. Some people are more comfortable with it. You've got all this great stuff. Why would you want to break out of the prison cell? It's a beautiful prison cell. Great meals, great transportation, amazing suits, cool cars, tons of money, lots of people loving you who don't know who you are. I mean, shit, why would you break free? Why would you? There's no incentive to. Unless you wake up and realize that that's not actually what living a good life is about. Maybe that's something that happens. The other thing that stood out to me, Whitney, that I want to bring up that we've talked about is how social media and the algorithms amplify negativity, right? And one of the things that uh, was talked about was that social media isn't necessarily the cause of this. It's merely an amplifier of our worst behaviors. And that the more that kids are using social media, the less sense of empathy, they talked about this, that their sense of empathy toward other people decreases the more they use it. And that on Twitter in particular, they have done studies that they found that words of inciting words, words of aggression, words that were negative or violent got 17% higher retweet rates. So on the one hand, yes. Is it an amplification of our worst behavior? Yeah, but the platforms are rewarding it over and over again. It's not just amplifying it. It's rewarding it by saying, hey, if you have an, a controversial, sexual, insightful, negative, hateful account, 
you're going to get more engagement because we've designed it that way. And that's the other thing too, is like, if we talk about, I think what it comes down to Whitney that I want to, I want to run by you. I really want your, your perception on this and I, you don't have to have an answer for me, but, but it really, to me kind of comes down to maybe two buckets here. You either pull yourself out of the matrix completely, so to speak. Okay. Or you find a way to limit or regulate or guardrail the system you're in so that it doesn't consume and destroy you. And I kind of feel like there's two options here. We either abandon the whole thing by getting off of social media completely, or we have a conversation of how to responsibly manage it. And I don't know where I'm at on the spectrum. After seeing this documentary, I'm more in the bucket of, I want to press the red button somewhere and fuck the whole thing. And I know I've said this in different ways, but it's like the more that I learn and the more that I research, the more that that feeling becomes greater and engenders in me. And I'm curious if you have a different take on it or if you feel like it's one or the other. We either abandon it completely as individuals and reclaim some of our mental, emotional sovereignty, or we find different ways to self-regulate because they're not going to regulate it for us. So the onus is on us to self-regulate. And I'm wondering, you know, where are you at on that spectrum? Well, right now, I personally... I'm answering this from a biased perspective, as I think most of us are. And personally, I have find benefit in using social media and digital devices. Personally, the pros of it outweigh the cons for me. But as you've talked about in another episode we did about Fake Famous, another documentary, is that we are also, as a result, complicit in this. Because if we get benefits in something and we continue using them for those benefits, then in a way that's selfish because we're benefiting from a system. And I think some people are of the mindset of, well, it's there. I might as well play the game. But that's what keeps it going. And we'd have to be brave enough collectively to fully step away. So I have to reflect more on that. I think I need to stay aware. I think as we regularly say on this show, awareness is the first step. And now that I'm becoming more and more aware of it, I'm reflecting first on myself. And as I said earlier, there's that kind of selfish perspective of this that we will naturally start with, but then we can go beyond that and think, okay, this isn't just about me because social media is impacting lots of people and it's impacting people in, in ways that are a lot worse than me. So it's a hard question to answer, Jason, because in this moment, I'm not ready to be disconnected. However, I still haven't finished the book Digital Minimalism, and I believe that I will give some sort of a attempt to disconnect for some time to see how I feel. But it is going to take me, I think, a while, just like any habit. In order for us to see the benefits of something, it's got to be long term. So I don't know if 30 days is enough time to be away from it. And I don't know how that will impact me. I mean, right now, so much of my life is tied into this. My clients that I work with are depending on me to manage their social media accounts, right? Because I have multiple clients. I advise them or I manage their accounts. I teach online. Like, Pretty much my entire world is done online. So what would I do? Do I save up enough money so that I just don't do any work at all? I mean, that sounds actually pretty nice. So perhaps that can be part of my plan for 2022. I talked about a big goal of mine for 2021 is to pay off my debt. So once my debt's paid off, credit card wise, my plan was then to start paying off my, my car debt. Maybe I can get my car loan paid off faster. And also maybe part of the plan is saving up money so that perhaps I can step away and not have any social media clients. 
for a while. That might take some time. So, you know, we have to look at this in the long term and start taking steps towards it. And it's it's actually quite similar to paying off debt, right? The, why am I paying off credit card debt? Well, because I see the long-term effects. It does not benefit me to have all this, you know, balances on credit cards because I am essentially stuck in that system for many years. So until I make a very conscious effort to pay them off faster, which is challenging in the moment. It's not easy to pay all this extra money every month that I'm used to paying off. However, the long-term benefit is the faster I pay off my credit cards, the less interest I'm paying. So there's a huge long-term benefit. It's like investing in the stock market. Do you want to generate more income for yourself? Well, you have to pay money up front and then take a risk. And maybe it'll work out for you. If you want to change your body, you need to work out consistently for a long period of time, a lot longer than marketing likes us to believe, you know. So I'm used to doing things in a proactive manner. I'm used to investing in myself. And I suppose it's just taking this awareness and then, as I said earlier, making a very conscious, consistent effort to change and not just think, oh, this is too hard or this is too uncomfortable. You know, I wouldn't be walking my talk if I didn't allow myself to get uncomfortable every day in order to benefit me and the world in the long term. And I think all of us start by leading by example. So when we're doing the work on ourselves, perhaps it's a little selfish, but we do inspire other people. We inspire them by our actions. We inspire them by our words. And that really makes a pretty big ripple effect. So I think that's where this begins, Jason. It's not an easy answer. It's not black and white. It's not social media cut off entirely because for someone like me, my life is very intertwined. I certainly could. Hey, if if I could, you know, survive. Well, I mean, I certainly could. I mean, like, I'll also be transparent. I'm, not, I'm a big advocate for, like, using the word could and can very mindfully. So sure, if I wanted to, I suppose I could go move back in with my parents and live off them for a while and figure out a way to pay my other bills or sell things. You know, like there certainly you could go to the extremes and very quickly disconnect from all of this if you really wanted to. And I think the awareness that I have in this moment, Jason, is I'm I'm not at a point where I want to take those extremes. I think I would like to look at a two-year plan for myself, and hopefully that's fast enough. I mean, this I guess the downside is that technology is evolving so rapidly right now that who knows what state we'll be in in two years. So it might not be fast enough. We might need to make changes literally right now. So I actually, during this conversation, added it to my to-do list to start to examine this daily so I can take more actions. And maybe I'll determine that I can take actions a lot faster than I realize in this moment. It's an ongoing conversation. And if you've been with us here on the podcast for any length of time, you know that this is something that we've talked about in so many different facets and dimensions and permutations. And for me, Whitney, I think it's also an ongoing examination for me too. But it is going back to the feeling of how we started the podcast of a similar feeling to the epiphany of when I started to wake up around the food system and wanted to wake up around the corporatization of the world and the environmental disasters and everything we talked about. And I feel like, to your point, the nonchalance of which people are treating social media and treating digital tech. Like, yeah, it's what's wrong with it? It's no big deal. 
is a, a common response when I've brought up the food system or technology or environment or environmental matter. Like, what's wrong? What's going on? It's like, just because you're not facing the immediate danger in your face every single day does not mean something's not happening, right? That, that's the thing is like, all of what we're talking about is a compounding effect. Everything at scale has a massive compounding effect and, you know, drastic implications for humanity. And so I also don't know, to piggyback on what you said, what I'm going to choose, but this is an ongoing, deep, visceral, emotional exploration of my relationship to this thing. And, you know, the thing that I'm reflecting on, and I know I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but I just want to quickly reiterate it, is looking at my mental health history and when my very severe depression, suicidal ideation, and anxiety ramped up was really on that bar graph of when social media really started to take a foothold in our society. And so much like you, I'm very curious if I were to take 30, 60, 90, 120 days a year off of social media, what that would do to my mental health. And at some point, I do endeavor to do it. I don't know when that moment is going to be. But as an experiment in healing myself and looking at what that does to my depression, suicidal ideation, and daily anxiety, I'm very curious to see what effect it's going to have. So with that, dear listener, we really encourage you to go to our show notes at wellevator.com. Again, our website is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Go to the podcast section and you can find the transcript and the show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes. But we do deeply encourage you, whether you're a skeptic, whether you feel nonchalant, whether you're as fired up as I am, to really watch this documentary. And as a compliment, if you want to watch Fake Famous and also The Social Dilemma to really get a massive download, pun intended, on what we're discussing, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts, your emotional reactions, your perceptions, whether you agree or disagree. We always want to hear from you. You can email Whitney and I directly at hello at wellevator.com. And we would love for you to weigh in on this topic if you decide to watch the documentaries, which again, we highly, highly encourage for your mental health and emotional wellness to do these things. And you can also, um, you know, examine any of our free resources. We have a lot of free resources around self-confidence, around enoughness, around mental health and emotional wellness, and having a more authentic, engaged experience with social media, if we're going to be on it. We got to try and uh, disconnect ourselves from a lot of the nefarious constructs of it. So we have a free resources section for you to dig into at our website. But most importantly, we just want to hear from you directly. That's, I think, Whitney, one of the most rewarding things is when we get direct emails or direct messages from you sharing your stories, sharing your perspectives, sharing your feelings on what we discuss. We want to have those engagements and, and real conversations with you. So don't be shy. Reach out to us anytime you want and give us your feedback and your thoughts. And with that, Whitney, I feel um, feel I need to take my dog for a walk and get off devices for a little while today. <laughs> I need some outdoor time with my dog. So thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Thanks for your support, your love of the podcast. And Whitney and myself will be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.